everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Texas Longhorns got a vote as the best team in America for college football in 2022. Welcome to the ridiculousness that is preseason polls. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We have a tremendous show lined up for you today. We got reaction from McNeese football camp press conference yesterday by Gary Goff. We got Brian Kelly. LSU staff reaction from their presser yesterday. We got Coach Dez and some Raging Cajuns for you as well. So we're going to talk a lot of college football today. We're gearing up for the season. We're going to share all that with you throughout today's show. We also got some Saints on tap for you. And we got three tremendous guests. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. He'll join us to talk all things Raging Cajun football. That'll be at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin will be joining us. They're gearing up for a trip out of the country. We'll find out all about that at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, Fletcher Mackle from New Orleans, TV reporter extraordinaire, will give us the latest on the New Orleans Saints. So we've got three really good guests lined up for you today. We're we'll going to talk a lot of college football, McNeese, UL, LSU. We're going to touch on Saints as well. Of course, we'll talk Houston Astros baseball. But we got to start off with the college football discussion, in particular this uh, nonsense of the preseason polls. I've said this for years. The preseason poll is absolutely ridiculous. It's irrelevant. It doesn't make any sense. It's largely based on what happened last year. But it also is a reflection of people not knowing really what's going on. A lot of times, whether it's the coaches poll, nine times out of ten, the coaches aren't casting their vote in that poll. A lot of times, little secret, they have someone in their sports information department cast that vote for them. So they're not even the ones casting the vote. Do you think coaches, do you think they have time to watch film on every other team in the country to see who's worthy of being ranked in the top 25? Or do you think they're more focused on game planning for their own team, getting them ready for the season, getting them ready for their next opponent. See, that, that's the fundamental flaw 
with the coaches poll in general. That right there. There's no way, no how coaches actually have time to vote on said poll and be able to dedicate enough time to vote on it correctly. Or at least with some level of competence. The same goes for the media poll as well. I've covered college football long enough. There are some folks, and there's maybe a handful of guys or gals across this great country of ours that actually pays attention to dozens upon dozens of teams because they're national folks. So one week they'll be in South Bend, Indiana. The next week they'll be in Tiger Stadium. The week after that they'll be in Norman, Oklahoma. The week after that they'll be in Los Angeles. They see these teams up close. They interview these coaches. They interview these players. And they pay attention to what's going on nationally. But for the most part, the individuals that vote in these polls are regionally based. So they know what's going on in their region. They don't necessarily know what's going on in the Pacific Northwest or in the Midwest or on the Atlantic coast. So the whole system, just fundamentally, I just laid it out for you, is flawed. But boy, we had ourselves a doozy yesterday. We had ourselves a heck of a doozy yesterday because (laughs) someone, and I know for a fact, our good friend, Danny Jones, who loves his hook'em horns, die-hard UT fan. I know for a fact he doesn't have a vote in this poll. Yet, someone voted Texas number one in the country. A team that absolutely crumbled down the stretch. This is a team that lost to Kansas last year. Kansas. That alone should automatically disqualify you for being allowed to even be considered to be one of the best teams in the country. But somebody out there, and it can't be Sark because you're not allowed to vote for yourself. Not allowed to vote for yourself. So even if you think you have the best team in the country, you are not allowed to vote for your own team. Yet someone voted Texas. Texas! As the best team in the country. Preseason USA Today coaches poll released Monday. Of course, Alabama voted number one. No surprise there. Ohio State, number two. Defending national champion, Georgia, three. That seems pretty much on par. Coaches, for the most part, from coast to coast, ultimately respect Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and the rest of the gang that you find really in the top five, top ten. Alabama received 54 of the 66 first-place votes. 
course, they lost in the title game to UGA. Ohio State received five first-place votes, and the Bulldogs got six. Number 18, Texas got one. (sighs) Clemson was four. Notre Dame was five. Michigan, coming off his first college football playoff appearance, lands at six. A&M, seven. Utah, eight. Oklahoma, nine. And Baylor, ten. LSU, for the first time since I do believe 2000, was not ranked in the preseason top 25 by the coaches. Now, the AP poll is still to come out. That'll come out on August the 15th. So, there you go. Someone voted Texas, number one. This was a coach. Voted Texas, number one. Is this a troll job? Is someone just mocking the whole system? Did an intern not get a joke? I have questions. But I've also been a firm believer of this. Not only is the whole system flawed, as we know, how it's constructed, how it works, is flawed. But why are we doing preseason polls to begin with? Why aren't we just saying, let's wait till October to do the first poll? I've always been a firm believer of that. Wait for a full month of the season to be in the books before you start voting. It just makes better sense. Right now, we have preconceived notions of how good these teams are. Yet, year after year, teams that we think are going to be good are going to stumble right out of the gate. First month of the season, first four or five weeks of the season, it happens every single year. And then we see teams that we think were going to be good or just average. We see teams that we think were going to be average are actually really good. Because you're not going to really know until they actually play games. So why not have the polls not come out until October? College football playoff waits until even longer. They wait until a good part of their season is already in the books. You could do the same thing for the polls. That would make them more relevant. That would make them have a little bit more integrity. And we wouldn't have Texas receiving a first place vote in the preseason coaches poll. Woof. Woof. In addition into the world of college football, LSU not ranked. I think that's good for them. Look, this is a team that barely made a bowl game a year ago. Didn't have enough players to even field a team, really, let's be honest, for the Texas Bowl. They probably shouldn't have played in the game. New coach, and you don't know where L- how good LSU is going to be. Big, huge question mark. So I'm not surprised that they're not in the top 25. No, some were stunned by that, but after having back-to-back subpar seasons, 
I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to have a big question mark and coaches go, well, does Brian Kelly have enough talent there? I think LSU is going to exceed expectations by national media. A lot of people think they're going to be six, seven wins. I think they're going to be better than that, but I can understand why they're not ranked in the preseason top 25. But what happens if they start off the season strong? They could easily find themselves back in the top 25. They're right on the outside looking in. Once again, another reason, just another example of preseason polls. But that wasn't the only big news coming out yesterday. How about good old Kevin Durant? Let's shift over just briefly to the NBA, shall we? Because, well, (laughs) this guy, this guy is the worst, isn't he? Just the absolute worst. So, he leaves Oklahoma City. And goes and joins the team that eliminated him in the playoffs. After Oklahoma City was up on Golden State in that Western Conference Finals. So he leaves to go Golden State to go ring chasing. Gets him a a couple rings. Then leaves Golden State. And decides he wants to go to Brooklyn. Wants to be his own man. Wants to build a super team there. And he signs off on the GM. And he signs off on the head coach Steve Nash. And he wanted to have them go get DeAndre Jordan, even though DeAndre Jordan was washed up. And he wanted them to be paired up with Kyrie Irving. And he wanted them to get James Hart. And they did all those moves. And they were nothing. He was injured. Kyrie was injured. The Nets were an absolute dumpster fire. A mess of all messes. And we haven't even got to the point that they traded for Ben Simmons. And now the Nets are in shambles. Kyrie Irving decides he wants to come back. Kevin Durant has requested a trade, demanded a trade. Either wants to go to the Clippers or the Phoenix Suns or the Miami Heat. Well, now this cat, after doing all of that, after making it all about him and having the franchise go to his whims, putting together a roster of players that he wanted with a coach that he wanted. Because remember, Steve Nash was on the staff in some sort of assistant role in Golden State. The GM that he wanted, the coach that he wanted, the roster he wanted, the team he wanted. Well, it didn't work work out. Blowed up in his face. And what do we have? We have him now wanting out. So they couldn't find a trade partner for that. Couldn't find anyone to buy or at least have the assets to give up to get him. Right? So now, reportedly, from Shams, one of the most trusted NBA reporters in the world, says Kevin Durant, sources have say Kevin Durant has informed the Nets owner that he does not have faith in the Nets' direction. The meeting was described as transparent and professional with a clear message, keep me or the GM and the coach. 
So this cat has now told the owner that the GM and the coach that he liked, that he wanted to come play with, that it's either him or them. <laughs> and we wonder why people hate the modern NBA. Like, this is, this is the perfect example. LeBron does a lot of this nonsense, too. He's just better at getting away with it. You're the one that chose there. You're the one that told ownership what coach you wanted. So much so, they fired Kenny Atkinson, who was a good coach, by the way. Got rid of one coach to get the coach you wanted. Got the GM you wanted. Got the players on the roster you wanted. And now that it didn't work out, you're going to blame everybody else. James Harden was the problem. Or Kyrie Irving's the problem, or now Steve Nash is the problem, or the GM's the problem. Maybe KD, the Slim Reaper, needs to take a long look in the mirror and realize he's the problem. That he's the problem. But this guy, this guy says <laughs> that the owner needs to choose between him and the pairing of general manager Sean Marks and coach Steve Nash outstanding outstanding guy was an MVP and a really likable player and turned himself into a villain in no time and every chance he gets whether it's his burner accounts because he likes to clap back at trolls or whatever it may be this guy is an absolute diva a diva among all divas Unbelievable. And you know what the owner's going to do? Of course he's going to get rid of the coach and the GM. Of course. Whatever you want, KD. Whatever you want. <laughs> oh, man. We got to take a timeout. There was plenty of shenanigans yesterday. College football preseason poll and Kevin Durant. Mwah. Thank you. It's only August. We got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and company. Oh, man, we're going to keep it moving. We're going to keep it moving. We're going to give you the latest from Raging Cajuns Fall Football Camp. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 9th, 1975. The first NFL game in the Louisiana Superdome takes place. The Houston Oilers defeat the New Orleans Saints 13-7 in a preseason contest. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, Raging Cajuns, they began fall camp last week. They had media day on Thursday. They've got a couple practices under their belts, and we heard from Coach Dez and a few of the players yesterday during his weekly presser, which he typically does, will will be doing on Mondays. And you know what? I asked him about the wide receivers. And look, they have an interesting 
opportunity. They have a bunch of guys that have experience. It's just not consistent. Under Billy Napier, after Jamarcus Bradley left to go to the NFL, they they never could figure out who could be the number one wide receiver. It would always be one game, hey, boom, Peter LeBlanc, former Kai of New Iberia star, he's the guy. He catches four balls for 85 yards and a touchdown. And then Peter gets two targets the next two games. And then it would be somebody else. <clears throat> so on one hand, you never developed a number one wide receiver. On the other hand, you got a lot of guys that got reps, right, that have game experience. They may not have huge numbers, but they have huge, you know, they have do have the game experience. And I asked him yesterday about his wide receiving room as it stands right now in fall camp. That group, I mean, they they compete really well. They got a bunch of a bunch of really talented players. Um, you know, MJ has really done a good job. We we Michael Jefferson. I'm sorry. We expect him to do that. You know, I mean, they all flash a little bit, really. Um, you know. We've been pleasantly surprised with some of the young guys, you know, with, with Jaden and with uh, Charles, and you know, certainly hope that they can continue to progress. But I think I think they will behind those guys. But you know, I mean, you look out there, and you know, you got, you know, you got MJ winning on a deep ball, right? You got you know, Big John leaning in, you know, on a fade, making a back shoulder throw, uh, back shoulder catch. You got Dante winning on the outside. So it's really still been a lot of the same. They're competing man and they're making plays and it, it makes it fun I think it makes it really good considering that we've got a quarterback battle when you've got that many receivers that you feel can go out there and go play winning football for you um, because then you don't feel like well I'm giving this quarterback kind of he's got less tools to work with it's just you, you know it works out great for us and you know one of the things that we've done here is we've played you know too deep in every spot and some spots you know three and, and that's been a benefit for us so the guys that are ready, they'll keep playing. I firmly believe you're going to see one or two guys emerge as the number one, number two targets. I think it's going to be Jefferson is going to be your one. I think Peter LeBlanc is going to be your two. I think those are going to be the two guys. Now, Errol Rogers, former Lafayette Christian Academy star, he's shown flashes, and some of the other guys have shown flashes as well. But LeBlanc's been in the system now for a while. Jefferson, the Alabama State transfer, he came in last year, made a difference. I just feel like I feel like Dez is going to want a number one wide receiver. I don't think he's going to force the issue. I think what's going to happen is that he's going to let it organically happen throughout camp in early parts of the season. But I, that's the one wrinkle of the big difference between what Billy Napier did with the Cajuns offense and what Coach Dez is going to do. I think you're going to see more solidified roles in the passing game where you're going to have maybe one or two guys that are you know those are the go-to guys like when the quarterback needs to make a big play that's the guy that's going to get the ball I think you're going to see more of that this year than we had in the last few years under Billy Napier I think that's going to be a wrinkle a change for Raging Cajun fans when you're checking out what coach Des is going to be doing on the field as the head coach now, Neil Johnson doesn't play wide receiver, plays tight end. That's another thing we've talked about for a long time. Every year, Coach Napier, are the tight ends going to be featured more? Are the tight ends going to be featured more? And they never were. They, they just, they never were. Not consistently. 
but they have a lot of depth at that position group heading into the season. Could Neil Johnson be one of those guys that helps make that group even more dynamic? He could be, and he was asked yesterday because we spoke with him as well, how do you build a rapport with not one but two different quarterbacks taking snaps with the first team? Yeah, definitely. During the summer, uh, after I, even in spring and things of that nature and stuff like that, we were working with every quarterback that possibly, you know what I'm saying, that we might go out there with on Saturday and stuff like that. Like Once again, I say uh, I feel like they're all very capable, so I work with all of them, and we're ready to roll whoever. He's ready to roll. He's ready to roll. He also talked about what has he been doing, because he had a good year last year, more than 20 catches. What has he been doing this offseason to become not only a more dynamic pass catcher, but a more all-around tight end for the team? Yeah, so I, I, de- I definitely do get those feelings. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a, uh, I don't want to say I'm a strong believer, but I, I believe in angel numbers, and I catch those a lot. So I really feel like those are letting me see signs and letting me know that the best is yet to come. I feel like definitely the run blocking the game standpoint, I feel like uh, if I just tighten up on things of that nature, I'm not just uh, completely perfect in the pass game, but I feel like the run game is definitely something that if I take that to another level, it'll, it'll really take my just me as, a per- me as a player to another level. Also, if he develops his run blocking, he'll have a chance at the next level. That's how that works. Your third, fourth string tight end on the roster are usually guys that are undrafted or late round draft picks, but those are guys that can do a lot of things. And if you can run black at a tight end position, oh, you have a spot on special teams on the kicking unit or the punt unit. That's how that works. I think Neil has the potential to be really, really good. whether or not they utilize him, that's a story for another day. We'll have to wait and see. On the defensive side of the football, Trey Amos has, boy, man, he's made some great progress. This is a young man that played quarterback running back at high school at Catholic High of New Iberia. I covered him when he was part of that state championship team. Good kid, good player. But the Cajuns bring him in. They're like, hey, we're going to make you a DB. He didn't play defensive back. He had to learn how to play that position. And over the course of the years, he's gotten better and better. And now he looks like he's projected to be a starting cornerback for this year's team. And the young man from Catholic High of New Iberia was asked, you know, what has he been doing? What needs to be done to make himself better and make the team better for this season? The worst thing, I guess the... The technique of being able to move my feet a certain way on how the coaches wanted me to do it. Just trusting that with Coach Burris took a while, but you know, you just gotta trust the process and keep moving forward. Attacking the ball, you know, uh, PBUs, trying to get your name in the paper. So you gotta get some interceptions. <laughs> he wants to be an all <laughs> Needs to get those pass breaks up, need to get those interceptions. Needs to, to do more on the stat line. But look, he lines up at corner, but his mentality, Trey's mentality, and this is how he was in high school. It shows you the character of the kid, and this is what he's been ever since he's been with the Raging Cajuns. Whatever they need him to do, whether that's line up at corner, line up at safety, play special teams, whatever needs to be done for the team, Trey's going to do. You know, I'm always a team player, so whatever role 
the team wants me, either a special team or anything, the team needs me, I'll be there. So if it's cornerback, I do what I do, do my job, and do the most I can for the team. I expect a big year out of Trey. He's a good player. He's a hard worker, and he fits right into what they want to do on the defensive side of the football. I'm telling you, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people think the Cajuns aren't going to be very good. They're not going to win as many games as they did last year. But they're still going to be a really good ball club. It'll be a great first year under Coach Des. we got to take a timeout. We'll talk more Raging Cajun football with Jay Walker when he joins us this morning at 7.30, the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. But we got to take a timeout when we return. Training camp for the New Orleans Saints is in full swing. We'll give you the latest on what occurred yesterday, including Jameis Winston's injury and more. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to win excellent prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. Mouth-watering steak cooked to perfection. Or you can get yourself a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, one of the best night spots in Acadiana. Or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Games Clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Let's talk a little New Orleans Saints training camp, shall we? Many of the Black and Gold Nation, many of the Houdat Nation found themselves crippled with fear. As news came out yesterday about Jameis Winston leaving practice abruptly. First reported to be an ankle injury. Later, we got clarification that it's a foot injury. But when Dennis Allen talked to reporters yesterday, he did not have the full Monty, if you will, of all the information, which was later clarified. But this is what he had to say about Jameis. Jameis went in today, with uh, kind of tweaked his foot a little bit. He went in for some evaluation. I don't have any update on that, but it was kind of rolling out. I think it was in the seven-on-seven period that kind of felt it tweak a little bit, and, and so we wanted to go in and get him evaluated. So reports are from Nick Underhill and others that it's not that severe, that they're not that concerned. But after he suffered that injury last year that ended his season and many Saints fans not wanting to see the Red Rifle, Andy Dalton, take over at quarterback, it was a little bit of a stressful afternoon. 
for Saints fans. But they're going to be cautious here. But the reports are from people that actually have sources inside the organization. They don't believe it to be that severe. They don't believe it to be that big of a deal, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Michael Thomas, he's there. He's practicing. He's not 100% yet. But Dennis Allen, first-year head coach of the New Orleans Saints, did say that he's making great progress. I'd say I think he looks good out there. He looks like he's rounding back into form like he was prior to the injury. You know, certainly there's still a progression that we're going through with, with, with that player, but he's incorporated himself into some, some team drills. You see some physical contact happening out there, and, and, and he continues to line up again. So, yeah, I mean, I like where he's at. I've said this before. You don't need Michael Thomas to be 100% of what he used to be. You don't need him to set the record for receptions in the season. You don't need him to be an all-pro. If you get 80% of what Michael Thomas used to be, this is a playoff team. He's just that good. So the fact that he continues to make progress is a great sign for this team. Especially a team a lot of people, it feels like, are sleeping on, if you will. I tell you who's been impressed by Michael Thomas is his new teammate, Jarvis Landry, the former LSU Tiger, Louisiana native, signed with the Saints on the team-friendly deal. He's going to add a piece that's going to work great in this offense. You're going to have Michael Thomas at the one. you got the rookie, Chris Olave, at the two, and then you're going to have Jarvis man the slot. Those are going to be starting three wide receivers. Kamara coming out of the backfield. And then Taysom Hill and Troutman at tight end. You fix that offensive line, they're going to put up some numbers, man. They're going to put up some numbers. And Landry talked about what makes Thomas just so special. Yeah, we start with the special part. I think I think um, for him, just the way that he controls his body, the physical nature that he that he possesses, I think he really plays the game like like a bullet, you know. And that's something that he's embraced, I think, you know. And one thing I realize and, and I admire about him is, you know, his worth ethic. You know, he's a guy that is here every day making sure he's taking care of his body. And he's on a little program right now. But even when he's out there, you know, he's giving it everything he's got. He's still making contact catches when I'm sure a coach doesn't want him to be touched at all, you know. And he's still going up, making contact catches, doing one-on-ones, you know. And that's something that, that I've seen that, you know, it just shows his greatness. You got to love a veteran guy like that showing respect to Thomas. And Jarvis is not one to be bombastic and to blow smoke, right? It's just not who he is. Anyone that's covered him throughout his career, whether it was in high schools, at the high school level here in the state or in college or in the pros, it's just, that's just not what Jarvis is about. So, you know, I know some fans have worried about Michael Thomas. Is he going to play? Is he going to be committed? I, I would trust Jarvis Landry. That's a guy that can pick up on BS. And if he's down with Michael Thomas and he says that he's special and he says what he's doing behind the scenes, I'd expect a really good year for Michael Thomas. Because Jarvis ain't, ain't, is not the type just to, to BS about things. Just It's just not how he's built. You know, for Landry... 
We know he's tough. His entire career has been nothing but catching the ball, usually in tight windows, usually while being having a defensive backer or linebacker breathing down his neck. And all he does is just catch the ball over and over again. And he's talked about his adjustment into the Saints offense and, and what he's been doing and how he's been getting the offense down, so to speak. Yeah, you know what? It's turning around. It was pretty hectic for me. You know, this offense is a, is, is a lot of 16 years of a lot of different things, you know? So trying to learn it and then go out there and, and play fast was challenging at first, but I think the tides are turning and, you know, I'm getting the hang of it and the concepts and things like that a little bit more so I can play a little faster and make more plays. Just imagine, if healthy, Thomas, Alave, Landry. Then Callaway and Hardy and all those guys can be in Traquan Smith can be your four, five, six. If they fix the offensive line, whew, watch out. I'm just telling you, they got the weapons. They really do. They have the weapons. And they got the weapons not only on the offensive side of the football, but on the defense. We know the defense, this team's going to be led by its defense this year. Despite how good and how much more improved the offense is going to look, I expect the defense to be even better. That usually happens especially when a defensive-minded coach takes over. And and Landry talked about guys that he's been going up against in practice during camp, in particular Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Alante Taylor, and what stood out about them to him. You know, both both great players. Both, both guys are definitely going to make plays. Obviously, CJ's made plays so far. Alante get a sh- shot this year, I'm sure. You know, both guys are physical. Both guys can run. Both guys uh, can play when the ball is in the air. You know, and at that position, that's what you want. We got to definitely, definitely got a deep DB room. Um, so the competition there is always pretty tough. But you know, that's why you come to work. That's the other thing about this wide receiving group. They get to go up in practice against Marcus May, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. P.J. Williams, Alante Taylor, who's going to get far more playing time. I told you all this. I've been telling you this for months. And the Honey Badger. That's who they get to sharpen their skills against every day is those guys. That's going to make them better. That's going to make Michael Thomas play with an edge. That's going to make Chris Olave make that adjustment from, from being a rookie to being a pro in a heartbeat. It's going to make everyone better. Talked about it on yesterday's show. About Trevor Pitty. Getting all fired up, right? The first round pick, the rookie offensive tackle. (laughs) Getting in some fights during training camp. I like that. Because that shows that he's got a mean streak. That shows me that he's got a level of toughness. Got a chip on his shoulder. I guarantee you the coaching staff loves that as, as well. And here's the other thing. The defensive guys are going to respect the hell out of that kid because he showed up and he's playing with a chip on his shoulder and he's not going to back down, which means now you got the respect of the other side of the football. Cam Jordan's been in this league a long time. Great saint, legendary saint. He's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. And he's a captain and he's the leader of that defense. And he talked about the rookie offensive tackle. He's a solid, well ahead of the curve rookie, offensive lineman. You know, and I think in his mind, he's a mauler, which is, is solid. A mindset to have, I guess, you know, 
they're probably like I'm, I'm, I'm always hard pressed to give an awesome offensive lineman a, a compliment, so I'm trying here. I think that he's got room to grow in terms of pocket, you know, pocket pro, but I think with our edge, he's, he's definitely going to be raised to the bar quite quickly. Once again, just like the wide receivers are going to get better because of the DBs they're facing off in practice, Trevor is going to get better because he's going to be lining up and having to go up against Cam Jordan, Anyamata, others. We, we, we always think of things in just tunnel vision a lot of times. Well, this guy's got this, and he's got these issues, and he's got a progress. No, you got to look at it because football's a team sport, and these guys develop in camp. You got to look at who they're practicing against or who they're practicing with. That matters. And you heard Cam doing his best not to compliment the offensive lineman, <laughs> which I absolutely love. But look, the reports coming out is about effort, 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 effort coming out of the black and gold facility there on Airline Drive. And Cam talked about that as well. Doesn't everybody go hard? If you see Mike T, have you ever seen Mike T give a 50% rep? Have you ever seen me go through a walkthrough speed in, in a real practice? We don't we don't do anything but give our hearts out on our practice field because we know it's game time translatable. Um, in terms of what AK is, he makes amazing cuts. He has phenomenal body presence. He his balance is next world, and you see it day in day out. So when I see it on game day, I know exactly where it came from. The same hits that he takes in practice, the same way he's able to bounce, leverage, whatever it is, you see those practice. Practice makes perfect, and that's what we're trying to do. We're striving to be perfect. Telling you everything that you've heard. If you're a Saints fan, I'm really happy. We're going to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one. That'll be coming up next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. We decided on it yesterday because it was brought to my attention. Because my Wally World and Griswold family references fell on deaf ears. Hannah Five Names had no clue what I was talking about. She's never seen a National Lampoon's Vacation movie. Not the first one. Not European Vacation. Not Christmas Vacation, which is the best of the four. And not even Vegas Vacation, which, yeah, I'm not going to hold that against you. Because it's not very good. (laughs) But. That led us to our poll question of the day. Which movie should Five Names be forced to watch? Should she be forced to watch National Lampoon's Vacation? Should she be forced to watch European Vacation, Christmas Vacation, or all of them, even Vegas? And right now, 63% of you say all of them. 14% say for Christmas, 14% for European, and only 9% for the original. (laughs) Keep those votes coming and keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, right around the bend, you're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Everything, everything gonna be alright.
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. Half an hour from right now, Jay Walker. Longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns will be joining us to talk all things Raging Cajun football. That'll be coming up half an hour from right now. But let's get to the topics of the day, shall we? Preseason coaches poll was released yesterday for college football. Not a surprise, Alabama number one, Ohio State two, Georgia three. That seems about right, right? Clemson. A&M, Oklahoma, others in the top five, top ten. And then Texas at number 18. Someone voted Texas the best team in the country. They lost to Kansas last year. Kansas! Oh, preseason polls. What nonsense they are. Absolute nonsense. First of all, coaches... Don't actually vote in this thing. They have an assistant or they have someone in the sports information department do it for them. That's one. Two, they don't have enough time to actually know about all the other teams in college football. That's the other thing. And three, why are we doing preseason polls? We expect Alabama to be really good because of what they got coming back. What if they suffer an injury? What if team chemistry is off? We don't know. That's why I've always said you shouldn't do polls until October. Wait until at least four games are in the books or at least five games are in the books. Then you can start doing your polls. Because that would be a better reflection of what's actually going on in college football, what the better teams actually are. We're basing things on what happened last year. LSU, for example, not ranked in the coaches' preseason poll for the first time in like 20 years. Well, that seems about right, especially considering where they've been the last two years. Awful seasons by their standards. Barely had enough players to even play in the Texas Bowl. Made a coaching change. Concerns about roster depth and talent. But would it surprise you if LSU ended the season in the top 25? Would it surprise you that Brian Kelly has them to eight wins this year, maybe nine? No. See? That's why polls are silly. But it is hilarious that someone voted Texas the number one team in the country. You got a first-place vote. Whether that's an intern not following instructions or someone trolling Texas, not for sure, but it's pretty funny. On the same day that we have the hilarity that is college football preseason polls being released, we get reports from Shams with Stadium, the same channel that we're simulcast on here in Acadiana on 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, that Kevin Durant has given ownership of the Nets an ultimatum. The Slim Reaper says, it's either the coach and the GM or it's me. (laughs) 
Oh, this guy is amazing. You know, sometimes there's too many nice guys in, in the world of sports. We don't have enough villains. But KD is the perfect kind of villain, right? He just is. It's a guy that bails on his team, goes and plays for the team that eliminated him in the postseason after Oklahoma City choked away a lead in that series and then goes signs with them and wins titles with them because he's ring chasing. Then he goes and goes to Brooklyn. Says, I'm going to be a net. All right. Awesome. Says, I want to play with Kyrie. Let's build a super team. I want James Harden on this team. I want Steve Nash. Kenny Atkinson lost his job because Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash to be the coach. So ownership in the front office said, KD, whatever you want, my man. You're a generational talent. Allegedly. Whatever you want. So KD wanted Steve Nash as a coach. KD signed off on the GM. KD wanted the team constructed the way it was with washed up DeAndre Jordan, washed up Blake Griffin. And Kyrie, I believe that the earth is flat Irving. And James, I've never seen a spot on the court I don't think I can make a three-pointer from. Harden. And it imploded. KD has been banged up. The team has been in shambles. And they've been a massive disappointment despite all the hype. So then KD says, I want to trade. I want to get out of here. Does so less than a week after Kyrie Irving says he's committed to coming back to Brooklyn for another year. KD's like, I got to go. I got to get out of here. I want to go to Phoenix. I want to go to Miami. All right. Well, well, Phoenix and Miami are not going to give up what is needed to land Kevin Durant because, oh, by the way, Durant's the one that signed the contract extension with the Nets. So they can't find a trade partner because they can't get value for him. So now KD goes to the owner and is like, look, man, I'll stay. But the coach that I told you I wanted to have, he's got to go. And the GM I told you I liked, I wanted to have, he's got to go too. Oh, man. Like, just come on, dude. For real? This guy is an absolute treasure of diva-ness. Kevin Durant is the Mariah Carey of the NBA. It's a train wreck, and I'm here for it all. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Jamie, to the show. Jamie, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, good morning, Mr. Third. First of all, let me just assure Ms. Five Names it's okay not to have seen any of the National Lampoon movies. Uh, I've never seen them either, and I have no desire to. Not that I don't get the references. I just have never seen any of them all the way through. Jamie, no, it was a great phone call. Glad, uh, I'm glad this is your last phone call to the show, bud. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Look, man, I, got, I do have to say this, though, about Kevin Durant. I want to know what he has done to make himself just so big pants. And what I mean by that is how many rings does he have? Not many. Two. How, many, how much success has he had, you know, over the years? He's had some. Not, I'm not going to take that away from him. Uh, but 
Golly, man, he's got to have pictures or videos of somebody, doesn't he? To be able to do what he does and then to say, oh, well, I'm just good. At some point, it's like Taylor Swift. You blame all the ex-boyfriends. At some point, you got to look and say, mm, maybe it's me. Jamie, so, I'm going to – I don't – I, 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 I am flabbergasted. First of all, you don't know – you have never watched any of the Lampoon vacation movies. Now you're making a Taylor Swift reference on the air. What is going on? What is going on to this morning? It's the beginning of the school year, and I have to go to meetings <laughs> at, at school. Meet and greets tonight, bud. Meet and greets tonight at Grand Coteau Elementary. Man, look, I had two meet and greets yesterday. I had a meet and greet at my base school in Opelousas at uh, Crestwell Middle. And then uh, I had one for my daughter. She's in kindergarten. I had one for her school, which I teach at. Found out yesterday I'm teaching my daughter this year in kindergarten. Oh, that will be awesome, bud. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. At the same time, it's kindergarten. <laughs> uh, yeah. Jay, so. Jamie, I appreciate the phone call, but I'll be praying yeah, for you. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on, Paul. Paul, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Oh, man. You know, more. Now, it's a good day. I'm not going to, you know, welcome back to you. You know what I'm saying, my brother? I, I mean, if we win this series, my Yankee brother. I really believe it's because of you, you know. Oh, you because come, I you came went back. To Yankee land, <laughs> and you, 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 see, like foot, foot, Toby, you in Yankee land, and I know you came back with Yankee good spirits and everything. You probably came back with a Yankee flag. So, I mean, I'm gonna say that we win this series because of you, my brother. My, that, this no. man, this man. First of all, I love Kevin. Kevin thinks Yankee Land is the Midwest, which is hilarious. That's Cardinals Cubs country. And he was in Indiana over the weekend, too, by the way, in case you were wondering. He made an impromptu road trip last week or last weekend to Indianapolis. So he was up in the Midwest as well. He did. He left that part out. I got to get on the mix. Oh, I got to get on the later. Oh, he left that part out. That guy that's up there. But no. I call about this KD stuff, man. Now, when you think about it, they, the Brooklyn Nets is worse than my Knicks. I know. They got – they really chaos. But you see, you know, the problem is with that, KD is trying to rebuild an OKC team. That's what he tried to um, rebuild. And the only piece that he traded – he switched was not – he didn't get Westbrook, he brought Kyrie. But he brought Ibaka there and all kind of people that he had played with with OKC. That's all he's trying to build. But what both of them is trying to do is do what LeBron did. One, LeBron always played his contracts out. That's what a lot of people don't get because Correct. he went to another team. Okay. Kyrie trying to do what LeBron did, go back to his hometown and win a championship, beat his mortar and all of this. And they all trying to – I get they trying to take over their careers like LeBron did, but LeBron didn't do it that way. And LeBron, when he go to team, except Miami, he got what he wanted. He's not really getting what he wants in Lakerland. He's not. He only got AD. He didn't want Westbrook. That's Because everything he wanted was the Rosen. He wanted Tyrone, Lou, and all this. They told him no. The only thing was left on the table for him was Westbrook. So, I get what they're trying to do, but it's not working. 
because they're not leaders. They don't have that it factor like LeBron. They, I agree. Me, and I, I've always said that about, about KD, immensely talented, right? Immensely talented yeah. player, an elite player. But yeah. he, you know, and, and the whole thing of him in, in Brooklyn, well, you can't go back, right? You can't go back. Like, you had a great right. thing in Oklahoma City. You opted to leave that and blow up that yeah. team because you wanted to go get yourself a ring. And, look, he's entitled to do that, and he made a lot of money yeah. doing it. I'm not hating on that, but you can't sit there. It, it, my problem with Duran is, okay, you make decisions that warrant criticism from folks. He can't handle the criticism. Like, no, he can't. he's so thin-skinned when it comes to that. And it's just like, come on, man. Like, you got to have some accountability here. What Skip Phillips has said about him being so fragile and weak the, out of any NBA player ever, he is. He cannot take criticism. Kyrie, like you said, the world is flat. If you look at listen to Kyrie ever since LeBron came, he's trying to be LeBron, but he's trying to do – he'll go on some off-the-wall stuff to try to be a mortar and all of this and what LeBron's going to be like, man, come on, man. You ain't going to get no follows that way. I think – what they're trying to do is ridiculous. And if that owner decides to say, I'm going to keep KD and get rid of them guys, he's stupid. Because before they got there, they was a playoff team with a bunch of role players. They had a team. Yep. Coach Askins was doing good and everything. They don't need them dudes. They don't need them dudes. I will get rid of them guys. I know they don't want to just give KD away, but if they want to get back to an organization that was in a winning situation and moving up, you got to get rid of both of them. Even if you can't get what you want for them, get rid of both of them because they're a problem. And that's all they're going to do is keep giving you problems because they already want out. Let them go. I would, I'll be honest, not just because of LeBron. If they would be smart, I would trade Kyrie. I would get Westbrook, get rid of Kevin Durant. At least Westbrook not going to give you problems. But he's going to put you in the playoffs. Westbrook can get you to the playoffs. That's one thing he can do. He can't win you no championship, but that's a good thing as long as you in the playoffs because that will build um, your fan base up. Revenue will come in, and he's not going to be in the league long. He's getting older, but you can start building, rebuilding. I just feel they need to get rid of them, but, hey, I'm a Knicks fan. They can stay down for what I care. That's like me being a Yankees fan. I don't like the Mets no more. You know what I mean? And I, I told Greg that he leave Judge alone. He got a real Yankee team. So my team is more valuable. I just feel I prefer my team up before those teams. But if they're going to do the right thing, man, they got to get rid of them clowns, man. I got you, brother. never happy no matter where he go. All I got to say, RP, have a good one, my brother. I finished list. You too, bud. Foot. Foot. Apparently, Kevin, Yankee land. (laughs) I assure you, the Midwest is not Yankee land. It's Cardinals and Cubs. And they get very fired up about that rivalry. And then there's like a dozen people, including Jim Gazzolo, that root for the White Sox. That, that's about it. <laughs> Poor, uh, the Southsiders. Oh, man. Yeah. KD's a mess. He's a diva. But the NBA is a league that enables their divas more than any other professional sport. And this is what you get. You get a guy that's thin-skinned, you get a guy that's a diva, and you bring him in, you can't be surprised a couple years later that he's trying to blow up the team because that's just kind of who he is.
They got another cat like that, too. Kyrie's kind of that way, too. Kyrie loves burning places down to the ground. So, whew, good luck, Brooklyn Nets. Good luck. Poll question of the day. Let's check in on that, shall we? I asked you which movie should Five Names be forced to watch when she unveiled that she had not seen any of the National Lampoon's movies. Um, Jamie called earlier. He admitted that he had never seen it. Then he made some kind of comparison to Taylor Swift. It was a good run for Jamie calling into the show. Appreciate his time as a listener. <laughs> Jamie's got a kid in kindergarten. Jamie's got bigger problems than, than, <laughs> than me being critical of him not watching National Lampoon's. Trust me on that. Right now, 15% of you say Hannah should watch National Lampoon's Vacation. Another 15% say Christmas Vacation. 12% say European Vacation. And 58% of you have chimed in saying she should watch all of them. Yes, even Vegas Vacation. Ton says, I've seen the Griswold movie series exactly once each. Not my shtick, but my dad likes that kind of stuff. And well, bonding, right? No offense, but if Hannah wants to keep the brain cells she developed in college, none of the above is the option. And I replied to Ton with a gif of him being blocked. The great run for Ton. Great run for Ton. <laughs> I love Ton. Brad says, well, if you had to force her to watch one, I'd have to say Vegas Vacation, which wasn't a total disaster, but was the worst one. Hart, on the other hand, says, with school starting back up this week, five names should be given homework to watch at least one 80s, 90s film per week to get her your references, Ray. Hashtag millennials. John Paul Cajunetti says, Vegas Vacation is one of the best and a must-see. It is sad that it gets forgotten under the fog of the other three. It has the best ending of them all. JPK, the OD, says, this is just the start. We can make a list. Spinal Tap is next. Have you seen Spinal Tap? Oh, my God. I'm going to have to make a list. Ralph says, all except for European, it was a hot mess. Other three are classics. And then he continued to share two more gifts, one from Christmas Vacation and then one from Vegas Vacation. She hasn't seen this. She hasn't seen Spinal Tap either. I'd be willing to bet you Miguez. I know Mesh hasn't. I'd be willing to bet you Miguez hasn't either. I, why, why do I feel like I'm going to have to have rp3 movie night with the staff here got all the youngins got all the youngins here at the station all under the age of 25 they haven't experienced the greatness of some 80s classics keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day leave your comments on facebook and twitter we're going to take a timeout when we return here on rp3 and company Little LSU football fall camp reports. We'll share that with you coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? 
Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Woo. Good show so far. Got some good phone calls as well. All in all, y'all been killing it, especially with the comments and the gifts that are being left on our poll question of the day. Which National Lampoon's vacation movie should we force Hannah to watch? Right now, running away with it is all of them, even though some of you are messaging her and saying, oh, save your brain cells, oh, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear it. The world needs laughter. We need stupidity. We need things to laugh at. Right? Come on now. What are y'all doing? Need some laughter in our lives. Not fake laughter. I see you over there. Producer extraordinaire. Having your your cult come to your defense. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You're just mad because you don't have one. That's all it is. You did the good thing by making my name be first in our intro. So the cult comes to me, not to you. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's okay. That's fine. Makes you feel any better. I just took an 80s it's fine. movie it's fine. knowledge it's look, quiz and it's, I got it's look, it's look, you and your cult don't have any souls and you don't like, you don't enjoy laughing. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You want to live in a dark place? That's fine. That's fine. Lights are on, so I can't live in a dark place. <laughs> Let's talk. Hey, speaking of dark places, that's where the LSU football program's been the last couple of years. But hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, now that Brian Kelly's in town. We got to hear from Mike, Mike Denbrock yesterday. He's the new offensive coordinator for the Purple and Gold. And look. There's a lot of expectations that the offense is going to be better, going to be more efficient, going to have a healthy Kayshawn Butte out there, former Westgate High Star, Jack Besh. He's dealing with shin splints, so he still hasn't come to practice yet. But you got Malik Neighbors, some other guys from the 337, and you got some quarterbacks battling it out to be the guy to lead this offense. And then Brock touched on several different things yesterday when he met with the media and look he made sure it was known that what they're looking for when it comes to who's going to be the starting quarterback for the LSU Tigers number one we want someone who can run the system of offense that we're putting in and and it's an adjustable system, so it doesn't. And that doesn't mean, hey, well, I remember where Coach came from, so that must mean this guy's got a leg up. It doesn't mean that. What what it means more is, what's in place for our offensive unit with the skill players that we have, and who we have offensively playing to the strengths of that unit. So, whoever really commands that the best, 
and, and really who kind of takes ownership of the offense. We, we're, we're looking for those guys to compete with each other, of course. But we're also looking for those guys to kind of somebody step out in front, somebody somebody take the reins of this thing and really kind of be that guy that everybody looks to that upholds the standard of playing quarterback at at LSU. And uh, so those things in particular, yeah, of course, we don't want somebody who throws interceptions or fumbles the ball around or doesn't know how to check protections. But more than anything, I think the strength of the unit a lot of times, and especially we're a a very quarterback-driven system, that guy's got to have command of what we're doing out there. So there you go. Got to have command, and it has to instill confidence in the rest of the offense. That's what they're looking for in this battle between Nussmeyer and Brennan and others during fall camp at LSU. Who's going to take it over? Who's going to take the reins? They're leaving it up to the players to make that decision. We'll see how that goes. What we, what we do know and what Denbrock told us yesterday as well and kind of reiterated was the running backs. They are going to be a big part of what they do with the passing game this year. Yeah, I mean, they are going to be a big piece of what we do. You know, tight ends, if we can make sure that we continue their development and the running backs in particular, are just going to make everybody around them better if they become a viable option in the passing game. The more options that we have, the more threats that we have, and particularly with the wide receiver group that we have, I think we're all feeling pretty good about the depth that's in that room and and how explosive those guys are. People are going to do things to try to take those guys out of the game. Uh, And when they do, that's going to lead some opportunities to some other guys, whether that be a back or a tight end or or whoever that happens to be. And we got to get people ready to make those plays. Offensive line has been a mess the last couple of years. It just has been. Has not been very good. They've had experience, but they haven't been good. And, you know, their season for for a lot of reasons is going to hinge on how well that offensive line has improved. And Denbrock gave his assessment so far of what he's seen from that position group. Offensively, we are making really, really good progress. And uh, I was really happy, especially today, with, with kind of the stride that we made with our consistency. And that's really the battle at this time of year, uh, only five practices in. There aren't a whole lot of answers yet. But you can see things starting to kind of take shape a little bit as to, you know, the positive direction that that this group as a unit is going. We continue to uh, coach and demand uh, their maximum effort at all times on the football field. And for the most part, they've given us that. I think it's it's a learned skill. I don't think you inherently uh, are just always a football player that knows how to play hard or, or the type of grit that it takes to be successful at what you're doing. Uh, sometimes you have to be shown and taught and and continue as a skill that gets developed over time. And we've gotten better and better at that, but we need to continue uh, to build that. And and really it comes down to what we're trying to build with our unit as much as anything is the trust, love, and respect amongst each other in that locker room. And what that leads to is a cohesion that's unbreakable. And we want to be unbreakable as an offensive unit. We want to be resilient uh, when when times are tough, and we want to be resilient when times are good um, so that we can kind of next play mentality ourselves into being the type of offense that we want to be. So, look, they're saying all the right things. They're implementing their offense. Brian Kelly and Denbrock, they're they're trying to improve. 
or at least have this season, have LSU take a big step this season back to relevancy and back to being a competent offense. We'll see if they can get it done. Got to fix that offensive line, though. Don't Okay, quarterback's going to be irrelevant if the O-line is still hot garbage. We got to take a timeout. When we return, our first guest of today's show, Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, will join us talking all things Vermilion and White. That's coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Rage Cajun football team is gearing up for a season of transition. But a season that many of us believe that cover the team is going to be a good season. You know, lots of naysayers say, well, I can't believe they settled for Coach Dez. What are they going to do with no Levi Lewis? And, oh, my God, they lost more guys to the NFL. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what happens when you're a good program. You lose coaches. You lose players, and you keep moving forward. To talk all things Vermilion and White with us is the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Jay Walker now joins us here on RP3 and Company. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing uh, I'm doing wonderfully. And and look, before we start, I just want you to know how happy I am that you finally let five names out of timeout and let her go to a press conference. <laughs> Uh, she she did she did very well bud she did very well she 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 she's learning more and more all the time that's good see see all right bud i know it's early in camp and media day was just last week um but let me throw this out at you you know he kind of brought it i brought it up in the press conference yesterday with des and he kind of said this back at sunbelt conference media day you know, it sure does feel like they're hoping someone seizes the role of number one wide receiver, that role Jamarcus Bradley held for a couple of years, and that the Cajuns haven't had the last few years. Do you believe Dez is just going to let that organically happen, whoever steps up as the number one, number two wide receivers, and that's what's going to happen throughout the season? Well, you know, there's a there's an old song, but don't fit, don't force it. Um, you know, I, I think that you can't just say, okay, you're going to be the number one guy. I think somebody has to show him that he's going to be the number one guy. And when that happens, then he becomes the number one guy. I think they've got, I think they got guys that can be that, but I'm, um, you know, I, I just don't think that, you know, especially after three days in camp that you can just say, uh, okay, you're going to be the go-to guy. I, I think somebody's got to earn that. I, I, and so we'll see what happens as things unfold. Who do you think is that guy? Is it Jefferson or Peter LeBlanc? You think it's going to be a battle between those two guys? Uh, you know, I, I think Jefferson is certainly 
Um, you know, if I was going to say that somebody might be a little bit ahead of everybody else, it would be Jefferson because of his big play capabilities. Um, I think Pete LeBlanc would, would probably be in the mix. But, but, I'll, but I'll tell you the guy who I think is poised to just have a spectacular year, and that's Neil Johnson. Um, I think, you know, from, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of a, I don't know, he's kind of a hybrid, you know, tight end slash wide out that he's a tight end, but you can go ahead and split him out wide. And, um, yeah, I think he can do a lot of damage. Um, so, you know, especially now with them talking about the intermediate passing game, you know, you get him and Lumpkin, you know, crossing across the middle, 15 yards downfield and you've got weapons there now. So um, I, I wouldn't discount him, but I think him along with the two guys you mentioned. Yeah. I, I think those would be the, the prime candidates. You know, when we've asked the players, Jay, they've seemingly said it's not been an issue developing rapport with all the quarterbacks, but in particular, since Des made the decision that it's going to be a two horse race, how key is that for him as the first-year head coach to make that decision and be like, look, the starting quarterback jobs come down to two guys. Everyone on the team now knows that, and now they can uh, even further develop that chemistry with those two guys. How important was it for Des to do that before camp started? Well, I think the players decided that. You know, in the spring with the, with the workouts that they had, I think those two guys separated themselves from the rest of them, which is why Des is calling it a two-horse race. Um, you know, the other guys had an opportunity to make it more than two, and, and they weren't able to do it. So I, I, I think the players decided that. You know, it, I, I'll tell you what I find interesting. Um, I was uh, part of a, a thing during the summer when they were doing their, their, their summer stuff, and they divided the, the team into eight different teams, and they would get, you know, points for doing the right thing and lose points for not doing the right thing and that sort of thing. I found it interesting that Woolridge and Fields were both in the top five of players picked. In fact, Woolridge went number one, and what's interesting is the year before, Fields went number one. Those are two high-character guys, and guys that uh, I think that the players have a ton of respect for. So whoever wins that job is going to have the support of their teammates because they hold them both in high esteem. Offensive line. I know it's early, but who do you think is going to be in the mix there, and who, who do you think is going to end up winning those jobs, or what are the the biggest battles across the offensive line? I guess rather would be the better question. Well, you got three guys that have started. Okay, you know Rubio has started. Gilly started last year. David uh, David Hudson started toward the uh, end of the season last year. So I think those three guys are going to play a lot of football for the Cajuns. Um, you know, you got to figure out who your center is. You know, Landon Burton got some uh, some snaps there last year, and and we'll see if if he winds up winning that job. But you know, you and I both know that the center position is very very important because you know he's the guy who kind of gets everybody where they need to be uh, in the offense. You know, Mike said that he feels like he's got eight guys uh, that can play, and that's good because you need that many. But but here's the thing, you know. As far as who starts, who doesn't, I don't think it matters because I think those guys are going to, those eight guys are going to play a lot. The big thing is they can't afford injuries there. Um, that, that's a pretty thin, um, pretty thin group. 
Now they're going to continue to work with a lot of these new guys that they've brought in to try to get them ready, but uh, they got to stay healthy. If they don't stay healthy there, there's going to be an issue. Is the big fellow the Michigan State transfer? Is he, is he going to be in the mix? Yeah, yeah, he's going to be in the mix. Um, you know, he's got, you know, he's he's way behind because he's, you know, because he's new. Right. Uh, but, but I think he's got, I think he's got some talent. I think he's going to be one of the eight. Uh, I don't know if he's going to start opening weekend, uh, but he's going to play, and and I think he's going to play quite a bit. Talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, he joins us here on RP3 and Company, talking all things Vermilion and White. Jay, uh, the defense, I know it loses pieces from that side of the football, but they got a lot of guys that are back, right? They got Zion Hill, they got Garer, they got Braylon Trahan, they got Trey Amos. Uh, is the defense going to be the strength of this team for the 2022 season, at least to begin with? At least to begin with. I, I think you qualified it correctly. Um, there's a lot more experience there. There's, uh, they're, they're a little bit thin uh, with depth at inside linebacker, but you've got some guys who have been with the program for a while that Mike feels are, are, are ready to have their, their moment in the sun uh, because they've been developing for a couple of years, guys like Casey Osai and, and, and some others. Um, but they're, they're deep on the D line. They're deep in the secondary. And I think that, you know, the four guys that they put at linebacker who start uh, are all going to be quality guys. So, yeah, I, you know, I think early in the season, the defense is, is, is going to be such an integral part of that, that in the kicking game um, until the offense can catch up uh, a little bit. I think the offense will, but no, the defense is very, very important. It's going to be important all year long. Special teams, how good is this unit going to be in 2022, in your opinion? Well, I want to see if if Kenny Elmendaris is healthy. Um, you know, he 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 had a what a, a pretty serious injury for a kicker yeah. last year. Um, so, you know, I if he's healthy and he's back to 100, percent I think he's a weapon. Um, Reese Burns is a weapon. He's the best punter in the league, one of the best punters in the country. Chris Smith and Eric Garrett are two very good return men. But it's it's the guys that they put around them. You know, they, they lost some good people. You know, Percy Butler was as good on special teams as anybody in Cajun history. Um, and I don't think that, you know, there's another Percy Butler there. But um, I found it interesting, too, that um, they're opening up special teams play to offensive players. You know, in, in the past, it's only been defensive guys who have been a part of special teams. Um, and so that's going to give them some more options, I guess, to find the best guys to put out there. Your main guys are veterans. They'll be fine. I want to see how the new guys who are going to be playing on special teams that aren't going to be returning kicks and stuff like that, I want to see how they perform. Jay, we'll get you out of here with this. What do you believe – is a realistic expectation for this program year one under Coach Des? Well, you know, I think it's reasonable to think that this team's going to be good. Um, I think it's reasonable uh, to think that the Cajuns are probably going to be in every game they play this year. Um, I also think that, you know, you have to, you have to temper that with, they did lose a lot, okay? They, they did. Um, and they're going, to, um, 
you know, they're going to have, look, I don't think this team is going to go 13 and one. All right. I don't. Um, but I do think that they're going to be in every game. Uh, and, and I do think that, that uh, they're going to have a chance to win in the fourth quarter. Now, I don't think they're probably always going to win, uh, but, but I think they're going to be right there. Um, you know, the schedule, I think, helps a little bit because you have Southeastern and Eastern Michigan and Rice. And while you have to respect all of those teams, you know, none of those teams are a juggernaut coming in. So you're going to have a few games to work out a kink or two before you start conference at ULM. Um, but I think it's reasonable to think that they're going to be in every game. But it, it's, uh, but it would be unreasonable to think they're going to win each and every one of them. Um, so we'll see, you know, but, but I'm confident this is going to be a good football team. Um, I think that, I think they are the favorites to win the West. I'm not going to guarantee they're going to do it, but I also think that this is a team that needs to stay healthy. You know, they, there are a a couple of positions where maybe you can afford an injury or two, but, um, I think that health is going to be a real important part of that. And here's the other thing. Nobody talks about it. Billy Napier said it. He's right. The most important statistic in football is turnover margin. The Cajuns were plus 15 last year. They probably aren't going to duplicate that. Jay, as always, appreciate your insight and your time, brother. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your week, bud. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. It's Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, joining us as he will every Tuesday during the season to break down things all vermilion and white. We got to take a timeout, wrap up our number two, update that poll question of the day as well. That's all going to be next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. It's prompted some uh, some vigor from yours truly. I impromptly, uh, impromptu, impromptly? Yeah. Is that a word? Maybe. Ton <laughs> wants to know, by the way, how the heck did Green and I get booted from your listener list in the same day? You know, I got nothing but love for you, Ton, and for Jamie. In spite of your stances against National Lampoon's vacation movies. I got number love for you. You're here. You can express yourself. It's fine. It's fine. Salty Steve doesn't care for him either. It's fine. It's fine. A little part of my soul has died this morning because of the three of you, but that's okay. I will adapt and overcome. Not to worry. <laughs> I asked you because... Five names unveiled, uh, revealed yesterday, rather, that she had not seen any of the National Lampoon Vacation movies. So which movie should five names be forced to watch? That's our poll question of the day. 55% of you overwhelmingly say all of them, even Vegas Vacation. 19% say the original National Lampoon's Vacation when they go to Wally World. 16% say Christmas Vacation. And 10% say European Vacation. Not to mention Hart is also mentioned in JPK. The OD says, hey, maybe we should do homework for Hannah moving forward with her watching movies from the 80s and 90s that she's never seen. We could go with that. We could go with that all day long. Oh, see. 
someone else has chimed in. That's right. Charles Wood. You left off the original and the best. Animal House. Toga. Toga. Have you seen Animal House? Oh, my God. <laughs> I have so much work to do. <laughs> I have so much work to do. Yes, Animal House is a National Lampoon's movie. Did you know that National Lampoon's was a magazine to begin with? You didn't know that either, did you? Oh, so we're going to add that to the list as well. I, <laughs> we got to wrap up hour number two. Hour number three, Bob Marlin, Raging Cajun, men's basketball coach, is going to join us to talk about his trip with his team out of the country. They're going to leave this week for that. We'll talk about that next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajun football team is gearing up for the season as they're taking part in fall camp. But they're not the only team on campus that's gearing up and getting some work in. The men's basketball team is headed for their summer tour, and they're going to Puerto Rico. They're going to experience the culture of San Juan and play three games in a six-day trip. And I'm always a huge fan of these type of trips for teams, particularly basketball teams, because it allows the coaching staff to know how far along their team is and what they still need to work on. And it also helps bond the team together, helps team chemistry. And to talk about their trip to Puerto Rico is the man who's been in charge of the Raging Cajuns men's basketball program for a very long time. Our good friend Bob Marlin now joins us. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How's your summer been, man? Good morning, Raymond. It's been great. Thank you. I haven't seen you since the Hall of Fame induction. Great job that night. Congrats on your honors and leading, uh, being one of the main leaders for that event and in the future. So uh, it's been good. I appreciate that, Coach. Uh, I always find it to be a successful weekend if I don't drop the glass plaques and trophies. That's that's my main job is to not drop them and injure someone. So when I do that, it's a success, brother. Yeah, just get the assist and keep smiling, pose it. What did it say? The big, bald, beautiful head on on the camera. Right there, there it is. There it is. All right. Uh, before we talk about this Puerto Rico trip, which I'm excited about for uh, for for you and your team, let's uh, let's talk about the off season. Look, it's uh, you know you guys uh, had some players uh, move on. You added some new players. You know, how do you feel overall? How you guys were able to handle uh, another busy off season? I think we've had a great offseason, uh, Raymond. We uh, recruited diligently. We, we waited and we added a, a really good player at the last minute last week who reclassified and our patience paid off and, and we beat uh, 
a lot of quality schools to, to get Kyron Ratliff just a week ago and get him in here, and we can talk about that later. But uh, it's overall, it's been a very good summer. We had the four hours per week on the court, four hours per week in the weight room for two months, and then we've had 10 extra practices. And last week was so uh, encouraging, and uh, hopefully it will make a big impact on our team because out of 350-plus Division One schools, you only had – probably a handful that were practicing uh, or have already practiced and, and left the country to go on one of these tours. You know, let's talk about this will be the third tour for you uh, and your staff, and you guys have previously went to Spain and also Cuba. Uh, what's the big benefit? Why do you like uh, being able to do these tours, and what's the, the huge benefit to your team and to your players individually? Well, the, the main benefit is what you just mentioned. We get the 10 extra practice, so if you use them effectively, you can get a heads up uh, on some of the other teams in, in your league and on your schedule. So that's one thing. The other issue, uh, or not an issue, but a good thing about going is that the guys are able to bond together. We'll do some team-building exercises that we do these on the trip at dinner when we take trips. If not, we do them you know, in, in the gym or in the evenings here in Lafayette. So a chance for those guys to grow closer together, spend more quality time together. We have a great group that does everything together already, so it, it should only enhance that. And the main thing is to, you know, we're trying to win a championship, Raymond. We got to the championship game last year and, and fell short. during a tough week for us, but uh, this year we're going to try to, to get back there and cut the nets down that's what it's all about and then 13 when we uh, went to to spain with alfred and sean and company we came back and won the tournament and then in seven in 17 we went to cuba and that team started the season 26 and four before injuries hit us so uh you know great opportunity for us to try to set ourselves up to win another championship in a new and and uh, larger league also I would also assume, Coach, another big benefit here is that, you know, you're playing all-star teams. So you're playing some, you know, a great wealth of talent. You're not playing a rec team, okay? You're actually playing all-star teams. You guys are going to face three of them, I do believe, there at Mario Morales Coliseum during your trip to Puerto Rico. How important is that for your guys to go up against some quality competition as well? It's very important, and different countries have different levels of competition. And Puerto Rico, I, I believe, is going to be very good. Raymond, the Superior League there in basketball was one of the first summer leagues back uh, when when I was starting off coaching, and it's only gotten better. Butch Lee, that played at Marquette, you know, is, is from Puerto Rico, and uh, he had a great Olympics one year. So. Uh, it should be quality competition. I'm sure the guys will be older uh, and uh, more physical than us. And, and playing as a team, I think, will give us somewhat of an advantage over an all-star team. We're talking with longtime Raging Cajuns men's basketball coach Bob Marlin. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. His team is gearing up for a summer tour. They're going to Puerto Rico. They're going to play three all-star teams in a six-day span down there. Uh in addition to the basketball and, you know, building team chemistry and you finding out about your team, what they still need to work on when you guys report for, for practice in the fall, this also gives them an opportunity, Coach, to experience a culture that's not theirs, right? And that's also important 
and their development and their growth from going from young men to men. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that we've done over my time here, starting with, with Alfred, and Jay Wright, Frank Bartley, uh, P.J. Hardy, Bryce Washington, Jonathan Stove, you know, Carter Domain. We sent all these guys on trips out of the country uh, to, to grow and learn different cultures and take the basketball out of it. It's the things off the court that you learn about other people, and, and uh, you know, that only comes back to help you, in my opinion. So uh, this opportunity is a little different than Cuba, right? Cuba was such a learning experience and such a beautiful, wonderful experience. This is a little bit different because we're in a United States territory, and uh, the passports aren't needed. Uh, the COVID re- regulations, everything will be consistent with what we do in the United States, but still seeing a different place and being able to compete, learn more about each other, and grow as a team. Let's talk about your team because, yeah, you had some guys move on to graduation or go in the transfer portal, but when I look at this roster, Coach, I see Jordan Brown, Kobe Julian, both all Sunbelt Conference team honorees. I also see Greg Williams, Jalen Dalcourt, Joe Charles, Michael Thomas, Kendrell Garnett, and Isaiah Richards all coming back as well. You have a wealth of experience and talent coming back this season. Um, just talk a little bit about having that advantage heading into the season. Well, it's always a great opportunity uh, for your team when you have experience returning and you you played well and we played well to finish the year in the conference tournament. Uh, won six of our last eight down the stretch in, in the season. So, Phil, like uh, – it's a blessing to have those guys back. And we like our roster. We have experience, as you mentioned, with Jordan Brown and Greg making the all-tournament team. Jordan and Kobe made the all-conference team. Of course, we didn't have Kobe uh, in the last four games, uh, really five, because he went out in the first six minutes of the Georgia State game on the road. But uh, we, we will get him back in time for conference play, it looks like. And uh, he's, he's had a great rehab summer. But with Jalen and Joe, the other guys you mentioned, uh, certainly Kentrell, uh, Isaiah, all those guys have gotten better. And it's nice to have guys back that understand what we're looking for on the court. Tell me a little bit about the four newcomers, including – uh, the young man that you were able to add um, there kind of at the 11th hour, Ratliff. Uh, tell me about the four new newcomers. We'll start off with Chancellor White. He's a guy that we signed. Uh, he committed to us last September. Uh, and Chancellor was one of the better players in the city of Houston his junior and senior year. I'd coached his dad at Sam Houston State. Uh, and that was huge in, in the recruitment of Chancellor. Uh, very prolific score. Uh, can can do a lot of things with the ball. He's very good at driving it. Uh, he's good at finishing, and he's really improved his three point shot this summer. But can get his own shot at any time. Uh, he's about six six. Got good length, and he's going to be a really good player. He got better in June. He got better in July, and I'm anxious to see how he does on this trip in August. Coach. You, ha- uh, you have a veteran team coming back. You have four newcomers added to the mix as well. And, you know, you're doing this trip 
We'll wrap it up with this. What's your expectations? You know, I always know they're high for you, and you mentioned you want to, you know, you want to cut down the nets. Is that the expectation? Is that the goal this season? Is for you guys to win the Sun Belt Conference tournament and punch your ticket to the NCAA's? Yeah, that's our our goal every year, and uh, we we certainly try to play our best basketball in March and grow, and at the end of the season, put ourselves in position to do that. We've been the semifinals many times, and to the finals a couple times, and adding a couple more teams to our league, losing two, adding four. So 14-league team, it'll be a little bit different in that aspect. But we are excited about the future. we got a tough conference schedule. We start off on the road for six of eight, which will be a challenge, but then we can finish at home. So if we can weather that storm and get off to a good start, then we'll have a chance to compete for a Sun Belt Championship. Let me go back to Raymond. We, you'd ask about those guys. I've talked about Chancellor and Stott, but – we did sign uh, Vince Sagona, whose dad's a college coach, uh, and Vince can really shoot the basketball. He's had an excellent summer as well, gotten a little bit stronger, which he's going to continue to need to do because he's small in stature, but a really good shooter, Kentrell Garnett-type shooter, that every time he lets it go, you think it's going in. And I've uh, been pleased with him this summer. And then Themis Fultz is a junior college All-American second team that uh, – led Dodge City to the best junior college year that they've had in 25 years. They were 30-5, and five, and uh, he was regional tournament MVP, uh, finished 11th in the country in free throw attempts as a JUCO player. So he's getting to the basket, putting pressure on the defense. He's a leader, a uh, guy that wants to run the team, and a really good point guard that we're excited to add. And then the last one, Kyron Ratliff, we just picked up uh, last week. He was in the 22 class. He reclassified to 23 last year, and, and most of the colleges thought that he was going to stay in the 23 class. And then we got tipped off in June that he was going to reclass back to 22. So he did. We jumped in and got the first of several visits uh, when his EYL season, uh, EYBL season, ended at Peach Jam where he played extremely good for uh, uh, live-on Florida Lee. And we were able to, to get him locked up, and he, he visited, he signed, he got admitted, he got his physical exam, and all that within a moved in the dorm, got his housing taken care of, and within five days he was on the practice court. So he's only had a week of practice. The other guys have had all summer, but uh, Kyron is definitely going to help us. And, I made the comment to my staff, I, I really believe he can be the type of four-year player for our program if he stays four years that Bryce Washington was. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a that, that that's a great uh, comparison, especially um, for what Bryce was able to do for you, Coach. Coach, appreciate your time. Enjoy the summer tour and enjoy having your team face off against some uh, all-star competition down there in Puerto Rico. And we'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Thanks, Raymond. That's Bob Marlin, longtime Raging Cajun men's basketball coach, joining us here on RP3 and Company. Once again, the UL men's basketball team is going to get some extra work in this summer. They're taking their summer tour of Puerto Rico the 11th through the 16th. It'll be their third in school history, following visits to Spain and Cuba under Bob Marlin. And they're going to play three all-star teams at Mario Morales Coliseum there in San Juan. So, great experience for the Raging Cajuns men's basketball team. we got to take a timeout. 
More RP3 and company coming up. We're going to talk a little McNeese football. Coach Gary Goff addressed the media yesterday as the Cowboys are there in fall camp gearing up for the upcoming season. His first season at the helm of the team that plays in the hole. We'll talk about that and hear about that next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms. Look, that man cave of yours, they can take it to another level. Yeah, look, a couple of beat-up recliners and a coffee table that's been duct-taped together. That's, you know, got Formica on it. That, that, that's not a good look, but, okay, you want to take it to the next level. You want to be the envy of your neighborhood. You want people, friends and family, to bug you, to bribe you, for them to be coming over this fall to watch football at your place. You know how you can make that happen? By visiting my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite because they can take your man cave, they can take that outdoor living space to another level. It can be the envy of your neighborhood. Simply visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Or you can simply visit their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Head coach Gary Goff is looking to earn his team's trust, the community's trust, and the administration's trust as being the guy that's going to turn things around at McNeese. They've had guys treat that program as a stepping stone. They've had guys treat that program as just a stop along the way. They've had to deal with some severe issues, hurricanes, APR scores, and the the whole nine yards. That's all behind them now. And the folks in Lake Chuck, in particular with that football program and that head coach, they're not making excuses anymore. They're not focused on the damage that was happened that occurred due to the hurricane and how that put them back. They're focused on putting together a winning product. You're going to have night games in the hole this fall for the first time in years. Kick off 7 o'clock under the lights in the hole. People are excited about it. People are excited about the air raid offense that Coach Gary Goff is bringing to the table. And he talked to the media yesterday. Fall camp ramped up over there in Lake Charles for the Cowboys. And they got to have their first full day with pads. And this is what Coach Goff had to say. His assessment of what he saw from the Cowboys with their first full day of pads. Oh, a little strain, a little struggle today. It's pretty hot out here. We had a heat ball break uh, on the turf. Grass fields are too muddy right now, but um, a lot of adversity, which is good. We need that right now. And you know, these breaks we had to take this morning, it's kind of like coming out of a halftime. So we simulated that just a little bit. We talked about dominating the eighth. That's the first four or last four minutes of the first half, the first four minutes of the second half. Um, 
you know, it by no means was it great or clean, but that's why we're in camp and we'll watch film tonight and make some corrections. He comes from the Air Raid family, the Mike Leach, Hal Mummy, coaching tree. Gary does. And look, he, he wants to run the Air Raid offense. But when people think of the Air Raid, they think of just chucking the ball all along the field, right? That, that's what you think of. But in many variations of the Air Raid, you utilize your running backs. You have to have an, at least an effective rushing attack. And then you also use those running backs in the passing game. And he talked about utilizing his backfield in his offense. Absolutely. I mean, Deontay is a lightning bolt now. I mean, he's a lot of fun. we, we got to get the ball in his hands. And then, you know, you got Marcus McElroy has had a great camp so far. He's lost about 15 pounds. He's moving great. Um, and then uh, D'Angelo Durham is, is another 6'1 running back, 210 pounds, that has had a great camp. So I think he had two touchdowns the last two days. So um, we got weapons back there. And that's the beauty behind the air raid is, you know, if they want to play, you know, pass coverage, then we have a chance to hit them underneath the run game and vice versa. It's also going to be key for them, the offensive line. Big question mark for the Cowboys. How good is it going to be? And look, the best thing you can do for a quarterback is have an effective run game. But you can't have an effective run game if the big fellas up front don't make the holes for the running backs. Once again, we always focus on the quarterback in football. QB, 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 QB. We're obsessed. We have a perversion about quarterbacks in this country. The quarterback can't do jack squat if the five guys in front of him don't do their job. Period. The five guys in front of him don't do their job. He can't do his. I keep saying this because I feel like I need to because people think football is nothing but the quarterback position. And Golf reiterated that point as well when he spoke with us yesterday about making sure his offensive line is doing their job, in particular opening up those holes for the running backs. They're good. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we got to work on picking up a little bit of pressure, and that, that happens. You know, it's, it's being at a camp, it's, it's a lot like, uh, you know, pitchers are always ahead of the, the game early on the baseball season. But they've done good. I mean, they've done some great things in the run game. We've missed a few things here and there. Tight ends have done a pretty good job in the run game, but uh, still some things we got to clean up. But last two days, you've seen some nice, long, explosive runs. That's healthy. So, look, he's happy but they still have work to do, right? Now, quarterback, they got some talented guys in the room. Some of the guys are nicked up, but it sure does look like it's going to be Walker Wood's job. People I trust that cover this team for a living, tell me that. And Walker has waited his turn, and it appears that it's his time to shine now. And he talked to the media as well yesterday, and he talked about just what it's like to go through playing an actual live series with the team. I just I thought it was good effort by both sides of the ball. Defense made some good plays. Really, really proud of the O-line. We had some fourth and third, fourth and short situations. I think we got a couple of them. Defense made a couple stops. It's a good sign when it's going both ways. I think he gives them their best chance to win. I think he's going to be the starting quarterback, and I think he gives them their best chance to win. Is it going to be the offense that Gary Goff exactly wants? No, but anytime you take over a program, you're adjusting your scheme 
to fit the personnel that you've inherited and adding the guys to it. It usually takes a couple of years to get all the personnel exactly the way you want it. So a lot of coaches, when they first come in to take over a program, they tweak their offense. Billy Napier did the same thing with the Raging Cajuns. It, it happens every step along the way. And Walker understands the opportunity that he has in front of him, and he's all about taking full advantage of it. It's been excellent. I mean, I can't, I mean, you can't ask for anything better. Getting a lot of reps, getting chemistry with the guys outside, learning the O-line, getting more comfortable with the offense. I really enjoyed it, and we're just working, trying to get better. I think Walker Woods is going to be your starting quarterback for McNeese. Obviously, that'll be decided moving forward. But, look, you don't know. It's a weird moment for us here in Louisiana. And what I mean by that is that New Orleans Saints have a new head coach. LSU has a new head coach. UL has a new head coach. McNeese has a new head coach. We know a lot of the players. We understand the schemes and the offense or the defensive philosophies of these coaches, of these teams. But it's first year. First year at the helm of the program for all of those teams. So all of them have question marks. I expect McNeese to be better than they have been in years. I expect them to be far more competitive and I expect them to get better as the season progresses. It would not surprise me if the McNeese Cowboys have a winning season in 2022. And from where this program has been and what it's had to deal with, that is a great foundation season for first-year coach Gary Goff. we got to take a timeout. When we return here, a special Tuesday edition of the Big Easy Blitz, Fletcher Mackle from New Orleans We'll be making his RP3 and Company debut. That's coming up next. We're going to talk all things New Orleans Saints here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the big easy blitz here on RP3 and Company. The black and gold faithful had a bit of a scare yesterday when Jameis Winston left training camp early due to what was first determined as an ankle injury, but later considered just a foot injury. To break that down and also give his thoughts on what he's seeing from the Saints during training camp, who's been a standout and who's been maybe, I don't know, a bit of a mystery is a man who has been named the Associated Press Louisiana Sportscaster of the Year not once, not twice, but three times. He's the sports anchor for WDSU-NBC in New Orleans. Fletcher Mackle now joins us here on RP3 and Company. Fletcher, good morning to you, bud. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, for the nice introduction. Hey, bud, you're the one that put on all the work. I just read. <laughs> so, that's all that's all that's all I do brother all right um Jameis Winston how big of a deal is this are, are the Saints just downplaying it or should there be calls for concern for the Houdat Nation 
I think that there's no cause for concern right now. Um, the reports that I'm getting this morning are that it's a minor injury. We were at practice yesterday, and nobody even realized he was hurt because, you know, sometimes a player gets hurt, and, and sadly you see it happen on the play. A wide receiver jumping for a pass and landing awkwardly. A, a running back maybe taking a hit and getting up, grabbing their knee. Uh, a quarterback scrambling. Jameis, I was told, actually finished the session that that the Saints were in, and then when they were kind of in transition, moving towards special teams work, that's when he left the field. Because all of the media yesterday was looking, going, wait, they're they're doing goal line now, where's Jameis? It wasn't as if we all saw it and said, ooh, what happened? Is he hurt? He obviously felt a tweak, as head coach Dennis Allen said, and then they sent him to the locker room for an evaluation. I was told this morning that it's not serious, He's probably going to miss a couple of days of practice as a precaution. But here's the thing. You're talking about a guy coming back. You know, right now he's 10 months post-ACL surgery. We haven't talked a lot about the ACL in training camp because he's looked fine. But I think it's something we have to monitor. How? What is the level of concern? I would say a 5 on a scale of 1 to 10 right now. And I know that that is certainly hedging. But I, I certainly – I don't – my gut tells me it's not anything serious. But it is certainly something that we will monitor um, over the next few days because could it be something that lingers? Could it be something that affects his knees? He tries to overcompensate for it. But I don't think it's going to be anything significant in the, in the near future. How close to 100% does Michael Thomas look to you? Michael Thomas looks like he's in midseason form. I mean, it's crazy. Michael Thomas, look, missed all of last season after the whole – surgery fiasco, Sean Payton, you know, the war of words last year. They wanted him, the team wanted him to have the surgery in January of 21. He waited. It cost him all of the 2021 season. Going back before that, he gets injured the first game against Tampa Bay in 2020. He misses 90% of the season. Um, so we haven't seen Michael Thomas in two years. He looks focused and in, in, in midseason form, truly. I mean, he physically, when you talk about the eyeball test, he passes it with, with, with flying colors because he looks, he looks like the old Michael Thomas that was the 2019 NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Now, look, when the game starts and he gets every elite defensive back in the league lining up opposite him, that's when the rubber meets the road. But right now, in practice, physically, he looks like you know, the guy that we remember from three years ago. Fletcher, we're so focused on Chris Olave being the rookie and – being the guy to help alleviate some of that pressure off of Michael Thomas in the wide receiving core. But I could argue Jarvis Landry is probably going to play even a larger role because he's the veteran and he understands what his role is. And he's going to be able not only to take pressure off of Thomas, but he's also going to be able to mentor Chris Olave. Am I completely crazy for thinking that? No, I think that's a hundred percent correct. I think that, Look, I think there's high expectations for Chris Olave, and you see why he was a special player at Ohio State in a first-round draft pick. Yeah. He is an excellent route runner, smooth as can be. You know, a former player told me that was out there. He just looks like he glides across the field. It's just so effortless. And so I think that he's going to be a really excellent weapon for this offense. But you're right. Look, Jarvis Landry is a guy who set records. Let's not – you know, he didn't do it here, so I think sometimes people don't appreciate how good he was in Miami and Cleveland 
when this is a guy who caught more passes in his first three NFL seasons than anyone in NFL history. This is a guy who absolutely is a pro's pro at wide receiver. I, I thought it was when he hit free agency, his, his agent said he's a $15, $15 million a year wide receiver. I don't know if he's a $15 million a year wide receiver anymore, but I know he's a heck of a lot better than a league minimum wide receiver, the, the bargain basement deal the Saints got him on. So I think that this receiving core, what a difference a year makes. I said it yesterday in one of my reports. A year ago, we're talking about Marquez Callaway, the, the same could sign Chris Hogan, Lil Jordan Humphrey. You know, the training camp stories of this is cool, all these long shots that are undrafted players that have beaten the odds. It wasn't quite as cool during the season when they had to go up against elite secondaries. This year, again, what a difference a year makes. You're now talking about Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave, a first-round draft pick in uh, two of the most successful receivers in recent NFL history. And now we don't even really mention Marquez Callaway, Traquan Smith, you know, any of these guys. Not that we don't mention them, but they are so far, far down the depth chart. I think that is just a, a benefit for the Saints to have elite talent at that pass-catching position. Talking with Fletcher Mackle, WDSU NBC Sports anchor. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz on RP3 and Company. Let's talk tight end because when they make the move of moving Taysom over to tight end, everyone's like, oh, he's going to be a full-time tight end. And I was like, I don't think that's how that's going to work. And then Dennis Allen kind of backtracked on that and said, well, we're still going to use him in a joker role. Are we going to see essentially like kind of like a, a tight end by committee this coming season? I think they want Adam Troutman. You know, they drafted Adam Troutman a few years ago in the third round out of the University of Dayton. And he never, you know, his rookie year, he, he was just kind of a guy learning the ropes coming from a smaller school. Last year, everyone kind of expected for him to be the guy, quote unquote. And, and he wasn't bad, but he's just never really kind of taken that step. He's been one of the training camp standouts. You know, on defense, we talked a lot about Paulson Adebo. Offensively, I would say Troutman, has really been one of those pleasant surprises in training camp. So I think that it will be tight end by committee. And Taysom Hill is working out full-time with the tight end. You know, in the past, Sean Payton played him in the joker role that you just referenced. But he worked out as a quarterback. He was always practicing as a quarterback, taking reps as a quarterback. He never really practiced as a tight end or a wide receiver. It was more of a, hey, during walkthroughs, he'd go into that role. But during the week, he was in the quarterback room. He was practicing with the quarterback. Taysom is no longer with the quarterback. He's over with the tight ends. He's doing drills with the tight ends. He's practicing with the tight ends. So he is now more of a tight end. But I do think you could still see him in some goal line packages being kind of that bully runner that he is, if it's third and two at the goal line, don't be surprised if you see Taysom Hill under center going off tackle to, to put his 240 pounds into a, a DB or a safety. Um, but I think he'll be in that joker role. I think that you're – I'm intrigued to see what he can do in that joker role now that he is embraced it full-time and they are utilizing him there. Um, but to answer your question about the tight ends, it's still a little bit unknown. I think Troutman's going to be the guy, but I think Taysom Hill is going to play a lot of snaps there. Jawan Johnson was a guy that's undrafted, who came on last year, who was uh, you know a nice player. He's having another solid training camp. Nick Vinette is the guy who seems 
to be on the bubble right now. They signed him last year. It's kind of that do-everything tight end, a solid blocker, a solid pass catcher. But he just he wasn't a great player for this team last year. He was hurt. He never materialized. I think he's got to have a strong training camp to make this team because it's not like they have a lot of great depth there, but they have a lot of, of guys that are all jumbled up right now that are good, if not great players. And I think Troutman's going to, Troutman and Taysom Hill, I think, are going to be one and two at that position. And then, you know, Jawan Johnson and maybe Nick Vinette, depending on how many tight ends they eventually keep. Historically, they've only kept three. So I think it's going to come down to maybe Vinette or, or Jawan Johnson. And this kid, Crawl, an undrafted player, he started his career at Florida, and he ended up at, at Pitt. He, he's, he's turned some heads from time to time. I'm curious to see what he looks like. He's number 44 for people listening right now, um, jersey number 44. I'm curious to see what he looks like in some preseason games. Let's talk about the offensive line. The first-round pick out of Northern Iowa been turning some heads with his aggressive play. I love seeing that, and I've told Saints fans they should be happy that he plays with a chip on their shoulder, and they should be happy that – He's gone toe-to-toe with some of the big fellows across the defensive line. I feel like Doug Marone in particular and the rest of those guys that are helping out probably love seeing that from the Rook. What impression do you get being there at camp? No, your impression is is dead on. Zach Street talked, uh, the assistant offensive line coach who played with this team for 12 years, um, and Doug Marone loved it. They love that they, they are egging him on. Now, Zach Streep did a great interview the other day with the media, and he said, look, we like it. We, we want that. We, we are encouraging that, that that's who he is. Now, Zach Streep goes, there's a line he can walk it to and he can't cross. And he goes, last week when he got kicked out of practice, he crossed the line. But I think that this offensive line unit knows that this is a big, talented guy, and, and they're not going to try to rein him in. They're going to try to say, hey, you made – a name for yourself and became a first round draft pick because of your physicality, because of your quote unquote nastiness. Don't run away from that. Lean into that, lean into who you are. And uh, so I think the offensive line coaches are egging him on to do that. Um, the, do the defensive players like it? No, but again, it's just competitive fire in practice and practice. And he has brought it. I'm still not sure. I think he's going to end up winning the starting job and being their starting left tackle. But you got to remember, James Hurst started 15 games last year. He started eight for Teron Armstead when he was hurt, and then he kicked over when Ramchek got yep. injured, and he played right tackle. So James Hurst was a guy who was a starter in Baltimore who has been a really, really great backup here for this team. And the thing about him is, is the been there, done that. He's, the, he's one of the smartest players on the team, and his technique and understanding the NFL offenses is probably better than what Trevor Pennings is right now. Penning comes from a small school, not to say he's not a smart guy, but the learning curve is steep when you're coming from northern Iowa to not only the NFL, but a Saints offense that most players, you know, Jarvis Landry said this is the most complex offense he's ever played in. And so that's a steep learning curve for a rookie from northern Iowa. Um, but, yeah, the physical traits are there. I still don't know if it's going to be James Hurst or Trevor Penning in week one because the Saints obviously are a win-now team. But Trevor Penning, that nasty streak, and, and he certainly looks the part from, I mean, he's like 6'7", 325. And, uh, but I do think right now pass protection and some of the nuances of 
you know, defending elite pass rushers, that's been a little bit problematic for him. Run blocking, he's just a mauler, and, and he's great. Um, so we'll see how he does in the preseason and for the final two or three weeks of training camp here before the regular season. Only got about 40 seconds left, Fletcher, but who has stood out to you on the defensive side of the football early on in training camp? Yeah, I mean, look, it's an easy answer. Paulson Adebo has been the best player on offense and defense. The second-year cornerback out of Stanford. Every single day, it seems like he's batting passes, making plays. He looks better than Marshawn Lattimore, who's a three-time Pro Bowler. So Paulson Adebo has been everybody's darling of training camp entering week three because every day he seems to make a play on one of the elite wide receivers, and he's looked really good. And people forget he sat out his last season in college because of COVID. So he's just kind of shaking off the rust last year. He could see a big jump this year because of that. Fletcher, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Can't wait to have you on the show again, but enjoy the rest of your week. All right, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's Fletcher Mackle, WDSU, NBC Sports, and NOLA breaking down New Orleans Saints training camp storylines for us. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll finalize the poll question of the day, wrap up today's show, and get you set up for Kevin Foote and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, Are you sick and tired of that constant pain in your knees or hips or back, especially this time of year? You need to be moving pain-free, right? Look. It's Raymond Parts III for the team at QC Kinetics. QC Kinetics is helping people here every day, giving them lasting pain relief using the latest advances in regenerative medicine. The science is simple. They concentrate your own body's healing agents and apply them to your aching joints, restoring and repairing damaged tissue. No drugs, no steroids, and guess what? No surgery. Listen, the old remedies for pain are not the only remedies. You need to learn more about how regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can change your life. Make this the last summer you suffer from chronic pain. They've got clinics here and all over America. This is the exciting new natural way to deal with joint pain with no side effects, no downtime. Call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation, 337 243 4222, that's 337-243-4222. Also want to take a moment to remind you about the Black Pot Cook-Off. It's back. That's right. The Arnoville Volunteer Fire Department is hosting a Black Pot Cook-Off on Saturday, September the 10th. That's my daughter's birthday, by the way. The cooking begins at 8 a.m., and the eating will start at noon at the Flower Auditorium there in Arneville. There will also be plenty of live music, including our friend Gerald Grunig and his band Gentelli Zydeco, Dustin Saunier, and Sweet Cecilia. For more information about the Black Pot Cook-Off, visit www.arnevillefire.org. That's www.arnevillefire.org. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests for making this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. Tremendous. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns. We talked all Vermillion and White football. Bob Marlin, longtime men's basketball coach for the Raging Cajuns. They're headed to Puerto Rico for a great little summer tour to take on some all-star teams. And Fletcher Mackle from WDSU in New Orleans. Our poll question of the day, which movie should five names be forced to watch? 49% of you say all of the National Lampoon Vacation movies. 
even Vegas. 24% say the original National Lampoons, and 18% say Christmas Vacation, 9% say European. Brad has chimed in on Twitter. Oh, well, if you're going to add Animal House, then that's the one, and that's the case. Until Hannah watches it, she's on double secret probation. The people have spoken. The people have spoken. Gotta educate yourself with some National Lampoon's movie watching. That's going to do it for today's show. For the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parsh, the third better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.